you came back. Do you like how I start this every time? Because I feel like the same way. Like when I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm ready to go, I'm like, I'm going back. <laughs> That's great news. It's good. It's good. This week, um, you, look a little, you look a little tired, I'm not going to lie. That psalm got you a little worn out, did it? Psalm 18, I have great news. You thought you were done. I'm going to talk about it again. <laughs> it, is, it, it, was such a, it was such a gift to, to kind of hear we have a class that meets the, the, in the evening right before this one. So last night, it was such a gift to be able to hear them talk about the discussions they had. And so I'm so excited for you to, um, to know that that's coming for you today to talk about this amazing psalm, this history, this, this, this hymn of hope, if you will, that David um, wrote. And before we get started, there's a couple of things I wanted you to know about Psalm 18. So open your Bibles, um, if you haven't already, to Psalm 18. As you know, those of you who look tired, no, you don't look tired, you look super pretty, so there's that. Um, it's the third longest psalm in the Psalter, right? It's long. 50 verses. The week before when I lectured, I lectured on six. So today I'm lecturing on 50. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's going to be, no, I'm not going to cover the whole thing. We can't do that. But that's the beauty of you doing your homework and going to your discussion group is you're going to cover all this ground that we don't get to today. Um, but I'm going to try my very best to hit a couple of the, the points that I feel like God just brought out to me and then maybe it will mean something to you as well. And so if your Bible's open to Psalm 18, I'm just going to launch right into this. We're going to start um, by reading the introduction and talking about a little bit of the background of this psalm. And I know some of it you probably covered in your homework. You may have a good handle on it. Um, but we're just going to go over it for those of you who weren't here or hadn't gotten to it. So Psalm 18. The first thing I want you to notice is that really cool, like, little, little um, subscript there, the little title at the top. Don't you love that? I'm like, thank you, arrangers of the Psalms. I appreciate that. It says this. And also I want to point out I'm reading from the HCSB version. That's just, a, that's just a different Bible version. And all that means is I forgot my other Bible today. So you're welcome. A little variety, right? Okay. Um, so if the words are a little bit different than yours, you'll understand. So the introduction starts this way, and it gives us tons of information from the get-go, from the get-go. It says this, for the choir director of the servant of the Lord, David, who spoke the words of this song to the Lord. On this day, the Lord rescued him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. A couple things we need to point out right away is look how David identifies himself. Do you see it? Like, okay, so he's, we think that he probably wrote this very late in life. In fact, some scholars believe this might have been one of the very last things he ever wrote before he went to be with the Lord crazy, right? So he's looking backward. He's, he's looking at his history, this retrospect of this life of faith. And so he chooses to identify himself as a servant of the Lord. I love that. No big pedigree, no big resume that he's sharing, right? He's saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. Well, it's written for an audience of one. You know, we talked a little bit about this in the other weeks where we've done the background on Psalms. And remember we said, this is a song book. This is a hymnal, if you will, or a journal. So we're opening David's private journal. It's like this conversation between he and the Lord. And the beauty of these psalms is that we learned a couple weeks ago, they were also used in community. And they were used in different, in different services and in different festivals where people would recite them and repeat them together. So amazing. But when you read these words, remember, he is talking to God. I don't know how it would be if I opened your journal. 
I know if you opened mine, you would see some very personal words and language and very specific um, um, metaphors and, and things that God is bringing to, to, to reality for me. But it may not, that imagery may not be the same for you. And so when you read these words, just remember that. Like this is a guy's personal journal. It's pretty cool, right? So he's writing it to God. He, David, our King David, the um, highest honor to be the servant of the Lord is the one who wrote it. The occasion, it says that uh, it's on the day of the Lord rescued him and from the hand of his enemies and also the hands of Saul. Um, what we do believe, scholars believe based on the history of this psalm, um, is that it was probably not just um, one deliverance, if you will. He's not talking about one event, but rather he's talking about a lifetime of deliverances that God has, has delivered him from these these situations. So it's a lifetime, okay? It's not just one scenario. What was happening to prompt him? Um, we think again that he was looking backward. It's nearly identical, you know this if you did your homework, it's nearly identical to another passage in 2 Samuel chapter 22. We think that 2 Samuel was probably recited at the end of his life, and, and the psalm might have been written earlier in his journal, if you will, kind of as a celebration of his faith of where God has taken him. Okay? But both were written later in life. This psalm, this psalm has been called by Charles Spurgeon a grateful retrospect. This song has, psalm has been, has been considered David's faith testimony. It's been written about this psalm that it's nearing the finish line of a marathon of faith. It's been written also that faith that is carefully measured and well considered is the place, the foundation in which he wrote this. I love that. Like this wasn't just a, hey, I'm just going to jot some stuff down, right? This was well thought out and lived out. And David put these words on paper at some point in his life, looking back and reflecting. And I love that. Because it has power, doesn't it? These words have power. That's one thing we know for sure, is there's some power in these words. Well, in the New Testament, which is where, in the New Testament, remember, it begins with, with Jesus coming on the scene and doing his earthly ministry here. And then it follows the New Testament. It's in the right side of your Bible. And that's where we then see the new church cropping up, the, the ministry of Jesus being spread to the many nations. And, you know, this psalm is actually quoted twice in the New Testament, once in Hebrews, verse 2 is quoted, talking about Jesus. And then once in Romans, Paul, our brother Paul, if anybody was with us last year when we did that whole study of Paul's letters. In Romans, he quotes verse 49, and he's talking about how we're going to bring the message of Jesus to all the nations. So cool, right? And so this, this psalm has great significance, and I hope you felt that. Um, for me... When I hear this psalm, when I, when I, when I read it and, and when I think about it, and I think about David and what I know of our David, shepherd boy to king, right, the musician, the one who danced like crazy because he loved the Lord so much, the one who made some terrible, messy mistakes in his life but also had a heart after God, right? That's David. Well, well I can't read this psalm and not think of a, of a friend that God put in my life um, several years ago because when I did this study the first time in 2015, she was a part of it. She did this study with us, and her name was Chihi. And if you knew her, I see heads nodding. They're like, uh-oh, here's Chihi. This is, this is what I think about Psalm 18. I think about her, y'all. This is why. My sweet little friend Chihi, um, she grew up in South Korea. She didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. And she found Jesus in a very unorthodox way, unorthodox to those of us who live here. That's, that's what I would say. 
But the neat thing is once, once he chased her down and got a hold of her, I have never met someone who lived a more bold life for Jesus. Never, ever. And in fact, I read this psalm and I think about David. Like I feel like he's, he's sharing these words from his heart about how much he loves the Lord, but he's also sharing them with some sort of understanding and insight that someday someone is going to read these or recite these or sing these, and I hope that they know my God. That was Chihi. You know, I tell this Chihi story. It's so funny. It might have been during the psalm study. I'm not sure, but um, I remember we, I was in here getting ready to teach a, a lecture thing, and, and all of a sudden, like during small group, I could hear like this violin playing, okay? And I'm like, what is happening? Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. It's a violin. And so I just like, you know, like the cartoon animals that kind of listen to the music and they just kind of follow the notes out the door. Well, I followed the notes out the door and I'm like, Where, what is happening? There's live music going on here and this is super cool. I got to find it. And so I wander down that glass hallway where a lot of y'all have your classroom. And me, along with a bunch of other folks, like at this point, there's like a whole bunch of us taking the trek. Like, what is the sound? Where is it coming from? And so we go into this classroom, and at the time, there was no um, window shades or anything. So you could see right in. And we look in, and this is what we saw. All of us are like gathered around. We're looking. And there's Chihi. And she's pulled out her violin, and she's playing Amazing Grace. But here's what's amazing about my friend is, is I found out later her small group leader told me that she had asked, can I, can I bless the group? I want to share with you how much I love Jesus, and this is how I want to do it. And, of course, her small group leader was like, uh, yeah. But this is what I found so interesting about my friend Chihi. Not only was her audience, like David's audience, one, she was only performing for the Lord, is she was playing and dancing. Anybody know Chihi? You knew Chihi. She would worship that way. Everything was just dancing and dancing. And, but it was only for him. And in fact, it was so only for God that she was facing the wall while she played. And I asked her about that one time, and she said, I never want to lose focus and forget who I'm playing for. If I look at faces, I'll think I'm playing for people, amen? But I want to remember, I want to boast only in the Lord. That was she. And um, we lost her too soon, she and her daughter, um, went to be with the Lord. They passed away a couple years ago, and it's always difficult. But I'll tell you what, this week has been... It's been, it's been especially beautiful because that's all I've seen is my friend Chihi as I read these words. And so as you read these words, I, I hope that, that you also see, that you see David in that way. You think about, about my friend Chihi playing the violin to the audience of one, praising the Lord, and, and always, always, always everything being about Jesus. That's what I feel about David. So... Chihi. Chihi loved Psalm 18. I even went back and read some of my notes. She would write me a note after every lecture, by the way, and give me her opinion, which was also awesome. But um, she, uh, she loved this one, and so this has her name all over it. So I hope it does for you as well. Um, here's how we're going to cover this. Like I mentioned, it's the third longest in the Psalter, so it's long. We're not going to do 50 verses in here. I see some of you yawning and going, good, that's great news. Um, but it is broken out in a pretty succinct manner. Like he, he, he has these different sections and a lot of them, you know, you covered and I, and I broke it out for you in the homework in different ways. But I really just felt like I just asked God, what are the, what are the three like main areas you want us to talk about today? And so we're going to talk about um, how David praises God in the beginning. And we're going to talk about um, the deliverance that happens. Um, and then we're going to talk about the hope. That, um, that David has to look forward to, that we all have to look forward to in God. So if you would, just if you haven't already, open your Bibles, and we're going to look at the first three verses. I'm going to read them out loud so you don't forget where you were, because it's been a, a couple days. Um, and then we're just going to camp for a minute and talk about it, okay? So the opening praise goes like this of this psalm. 
Verse 1, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my mountain, where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. I know that you probably, that one probably rings a bell, right? Some of the other verses you read throughout, like, you know, where he's talking about storms and, and all the things. You might, you might just been like, okay, I don't want to talk about the earth shaking anymore. Let's talk about this part, right? But this is so amazing because David starts us out this way. He says, this is who my God is. I love that the very first part, the first seven words of this giant, big masterpiece. I love you, O Lord, my strength. If we could live, if we, guys, if we could just start every day that way. And maybe end it that way too. To recognize that he is our strength, right? I mean, you guys look super strong and everything, but you're really actually not. You're really actually not. He is the one who's strong. The seven words at the beginning are so incredibly powerful. Um, The word love here in verse 1, I want you to know something about this. I didn't realize... um, there's, there's a Hebrew, well, here's how the Hebrew language works. Uh, so the smart people say, not me, I don't know Hebrew. But from my understanding is that like a word like love, you know, it can have so many meanings. And in, in our language, in, in the English language, we just use the same word for I love tacos and I love Jesus, right? Same word, different meaning, amen. But in the Hebrew language, this is what's so beautiful and poetic about it, is there's different words for different types of love. And the interesting thing is David actually uses a very rare term in this section. He says the word rakam, and it's R-A-C-H-A-M. He uses this Hebrew word for love, and it's not used very often. And what it means is loving deeply. It means tender or intimate or forever bonded. And so the way I've read um, a comparison would be this. When a mother has a baby, when a, when a woman gives birth to a baby, there's this connection, right? There's this bond. And, and that's, it doesn't matter how bratty that kid may be later in life, amen? Some of y'all are like, yes, thank you. You still have this bond, and that's a bond that can't easily be explained. It can only be experienced, That's the love that he's talking about here. Interesting, right? That's the word he's using. He's talking about being forever intimately bonded to you, Lord. Well, he goes into this section. He gives us these eight metaphors, and you talked about them in your homework, and they were all um, martial in in language, meaning they're all about, like, what a king or, like, a warrior would need, right? So they're, they're about protection and salvation, my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock of refuge, my shield, my horn of salvation, and my stronghold. And what's the word, the little word that we see before each of these that means so much? My. Yeah. David is talking. First, he talks the word love. He talks about this personal bond that he has that can't be explained, only experienced. And then he says all of these different words, all of these different metaphors are what God is personally to me, David. Personally. And I know if you're like me, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's my strength, my rock, my fortress. I need all those things. But you know what, what struck me in a deep way was that God met David's need right where he was. You know, he was like this commander and this great warrior. And so these are things that a great warrior would want. What about a great not warrior? <laughs> what about a mom and a wife and a, and a Bible teacher and a target shopper? And, you know, what about that girl? Um, I started thinking, like, that's what's beautiful about our God. Right? He wants to be my truth when the world lies to me. 
He, he is my compass when I don't know which way to go. He is my hero when I desperately need rescue, anyone? He is my biggest fan when I feel all alone. He's my breath when I feel like I'm suffocating in this world. He's a personal God. I, I love the fact that we see David from the very beginning of this thing say, you need to understand this is who my God is and he is personal and we have a bond that can't be broken. And then he launches into all this other stuff. First, my personal God. David has a personal God to love and rely on. Well, in the verses following, in verses 7, like, it goes into 4 through 6, he talks about oh, all the distress, right? Remember those words? You're like, yeah, can we skip that part? Yeah, we will. We'll skip that part. Um, it was all the ropes of death, and they were wrapped around me, the torrents of dis excuse me, destruction, the snares of death, the distress. But, you know, if you look at verse 6, you'll notice this before we move on, that David cries out to God in his distress. You see, it doesn't say, I waited until I got my act together and I felt okay again and I didn't have cry eyes anymore. And then I called out to God in confidence and hope and strength and trust and no, in his distress. In the moment where he's wrapped with death around his neck. Anybody ever had these moments in life where you feel like the world just has their foot on your chest and you can't even breathe, right? Like, those are the moments that David's saying he cried out to God. I love that he lays that out for us and makes it okay. Honesty before the Lord, right? Well, he goes into this meta metaphorical theophany. Yeah, I said that. Metaphorical theophany. That was a lot of syllables. Metaphorical. I still can't believe I just said that. Metaphorical theophany. Here's what a theophany is. This whole part in uh, verses 7 through 15, the earth shook and quaked, the foundations of the mountains, that he burned with anger, smoke rose from his nostrils, all that stuff, okay, where he's describing God. A theophany is this. It's a vivid, poetic picture of God's presence. Vivid, poetic picture of God's presence. I know there are some of you in here who are visual learners, and David's painting this picture that we can't help but see in our minds, right, of who God is and the power in who he is. I love the idea that in this distress and in this theophany that seems a little scary, not going to lie, a little crazy, because God is so incredibly powerful. But this is what I thought was so cool about it, is it reminds me that God is affected by my misery. And God is affected by my suffering, especially at the hands of the enemy, He's affected by what you're going through, and he wants to hear us cry out in distress and be our strength and be our fortress and be our compass and be our truth, right? Well, verses 16 through 19, we move on down to this section about deliverance, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here for just a minute. I want to read it out loud to you, and we're going to go over um, some of these verses. I just need to hear this, right? In verse 16, he starts, He reached down from on high. And he took hold of me, and he pulled me out of deep waters. Verse 17, he rescued me from my powerful enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my distress, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out to a wide open place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Guys, these words are your words. You know, I love the personalness. Look at the personal rescue. He reached down. He took he pulled him out. He rescued him. He brought him. He delighted in him. 
all of those things are personal things. They're not um, God on high, you know, sitting up there. And, and it was, it, this is like a personal God. I love that over and over we see the idea of him reaching. We see the idea of him touching. In your homework, I had you go back to a super uplifting passage in, in 1 Kings, I mean, excuse me, 2 Kings, I believe, um, oh, 1 Kings 19, verses 3 through 12. And I, I, I joke about this being not very uplifting, but you know what? To me, it's one of my very favorite things in the whole Bible. And you know why? It's because Elijah is broken and he's exhausted by life and he's just done, done. He's done all this amazing work for the Lord and he just says to God, crying out in his distress, his honest distress, he says to God, I just want to be done. There's a lot of that going around, you know? Well, this is what I love about the rescue that Elijah experiences. If you read through those verses, and if you haven't, I highly recommend that you do. Verses 3 through 12 in 1 Kings 19. But here's what I want you to know is that, is that God saw his need. Elijah had taken off and he hung out, hung out in the wilderness and he was like, I'm just going to lay under this shady tree and I'm just going to go sleep and I'm just going to try not to wake up. But God sent his angel and you know what his angel did? Oh, I love this so much. The angel touched him. The angel fed him. The angel gave him water, and he gave him rest. And then he said these words, get up. Get up. And he did it twice, didn't he? Because then Elijah ate and drank, and he's like, okay, cool. Back to sleep I go. Goes back to sleep. You know what the angel did? He touched him. He gave him food. He gave him water. And he said, get up. Ah, I love that. Our personal God, you know, in the way that we need to hear from him, God speaks to us. In the way we need to be delivered, God delivers us. I look around this room, I have to look quickly because I know some of the stories in this room and I know those times when you have been laying in the wilderness saying, I just don't have the strength. Well, you know what the beautiful thing is? Then you said, I, but I gotta get up because God is my strength, God is my fortress. And, and, and if you haven't lived a part of your life yet where you've experienced that, I wanna encourage you today. You know, I spoke about my friend Sheehy. Oh my gosh, we, we, we still talk about getting um, the word bold um, tattooed in, in, in the Korean language on our, on our arms because that is what she was. She lived this hard, difficult life and you'll hear a little bit more about her circumstances in a few minutes, but just a really difficult road but God never left, and he was always her strength, and she always cried out to him, and she always got up. That's David. That's Elijah. That's what we have to do. I think about this, and I think sometimes, like, um, I think, I'm not going to speak for you because, you know, you probably don't feel this way, but I think often um, I order up deliverance in a different way. Do you? Like, sometimes I'm like, I am in the midst of this, you know, that whole, that whole verses, um, four through, uh, seven through eight, I mean, excuse me, four through six, where there's, you know, the world is standing on my throat, and I can't breathe, and I have, you know, I feel like I'm being strangled, and all these things are happening, and sometimes I talk to God in this way, I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to fix this, this is how we would fix this, God, because this is what would make the most sense for me. I don't think David or Elijah ordered up deliverance in the way they got it, amen? I mean, when we get to keep looking and un, un, un veiling David's life, I do not think that when he is at the, at the most honest about how he loves his Lord, that he would say, you know, this is how I'm going to meet you, and this is how you're going to deliver me. It, it didn't end that way. And same with Elijah. I don't think that was on his plan. It wouldn't have been on my plan. 
sometimes we order up deliverance and God says, no, I have the best plan, right? I have the best plan. Well, David was never forgotten. Either was Elijah. David was never alone. Either was Elijah. And David was never unloved. Either was Elijah. No matter how they felt, no matter where they were. Amen. We can take that with us today. Well, deliverance. I love that part. I love that part. Well, he goes on in um, verses 20 through 24, and he talks about being the delight of the Lord. He expands on that, that, that sentence that you saw in verse 19. I think we need to be better at this, by the way. I'll just get on my soapbox for a minute. Because I think, you know, we launch into this whole thing, and I can't wait to hear about your discussions in your group, about being boastful in the Lord and how David was boasting. And it seems sometimes you're like, well, aren't you something? You just think you're something. But then you read, you keep reading, right? This is where cherry-picking scripture, you don't want to do that because you want to read the whole thing because he always points back to the Lord, amen? But the beautiful thing was, I love this. This is what I think we need to be better at. He recognizes who he is in the Lord. He recognizes that God has given him power, God has given him gifts, God has given him victories. He sees it. He calls it what it is. I think we're bad at this. Because we don't want to brag and we don't want to point attention to us. I'm the worst at it. I'm telling you right now. But how about instead of somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, you're a great teacher because you get down on the floor and play with my kid and my kid talks about you all the time and it, it's changing his little reality. Instead of being like, oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. How about this? You know what? God gave me this gift. And the gift is I want to get on the floor and play with your kid and that is a gift. And I love him for it, and I, I would love to tell you more about it. Or how about whenever somebody says to you, gosh, you know what? The way you deal with difficult people on social media is inspiring. The way people attack, the way people use words as weapons, but the way you respond, that's really cool. Why, why are you like that? Well, you know what? The Lord has convicted me about certain things, and I, I just feel like I, I'm, I'm blessed because he convicts my heart before I hit sin. Amen? There are moments where I think we need to be better in being boastful in the Lord. And I feel like David got it down, didn't he? We got a lot of verses of it. But that's what he's doing. He's not boasting in himself. He's claiming the victory, but he's claiming it for the Lord. And I feel like we need to do that too. Okay, off the soapbox. That wasn't even planned. I'm sorry about that. Um, verses 25 through 29. We move into God's faithfulness. Basically what we see here is we see David asking for, um, he, he's, he's needy. Anybody needy? Don't raise your hand because I know you are. You don't have to. It's just not even be awkward. Yeah. We're all needy. Needy people, needy king. We see David in verse 28 say, you illuminate my darkness. We see David in verse 29 saying, with you I can blank. Needy. That's who we are. When we operate at a need, God meets the needs, doesn't he? Well, God's perfect way in verses 30 through 36 we see that, that David claims that God's way is perfect. And then he goes into this whole thing about how he wants his way to be God's way. He wants to be in step with God. I love that. One of the coolest verses I love, and it's repeated a couple of different places, is how in verse 36 he says, I want you to widen the place beneath me for my steps. And if you'll remember, that was a few verses earlier too. We saw that to give me a broad space to step on. And think about this when you think about these verses, the, these, these imagery, these metaphors. You think about what he said in the first three verses about who God is, his rock, his foundation. And then you think about the steps that we take in this path called life, right? 
I, I will tell you this, it doesn't say this in, in this translation, but the steps are slippery and they're steep and they're scary, right? Life is steep and slippery and scary all the time. But the beauty is that David knows it, but he knows if my foundation is broad and my feet are firmly set like those of a deer who's up on the steep cliff, I'm good. I'm good. That's our David. That's what our David is asking for his God. He's saying, I want your perfect way. Make it my perfect way. Well, he goes in again to verses 37 through 45, and we see more of the, um, of, of, it's a divine rescue, if you will, but he's, he's turning back again to what God has done in his life. And it's kind of more of the delighting uh, that the Lord delights in David, and he gets to share more of that. And I love it. It's almost like, gosh, it's like he's writing his eulogy, right? He's writing this beautiful retrospect of, of, of this life he lived, but he's pointing back to the Lord at every time he can. Well, I'm not going to keep you here forever, but I did want to read um, the closing hope because I feel like this last part, um, I don't know about y'all, but I was tired by the time I got to day five. Anybody? I was like, okay, David, enough. No. Um, the last few verses are critical, and here's why. Because we talk about David's history we talk about his hope. His hope is in the Lord. But what's beautiful about the way he wraps this thing up is he's pointing to the future. The future hope. The hope that we have. The hope that we can understand, too. It's our hope, too. Um, verse 46 goes like this. I'm going to read all the way to verse 50, and then we're going to wrap up. Verse 46 starts like this. The Lord lives. May my rock be praised. The God of my salvation is exalted. God, he gives me vengeance and, and subdues people under me. He frees me from my enemies. You exalt me above my adversaries. You rescue me from violent men. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord. Among the nations, I will sing about your name. He gives great victories to his king, and he shows loyalty to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. That was a mic drop, right? What an ending because the beautiful thing is, you know how I told you that this whole big giant book, this Old Testament, New Testament, remember who it's about? It's about God. But guess what? Your name just got mentioned in Psalm 18. David's descendants forever. Wow, right? What a promise. You know, there's this covenant that happens, and you can read more about it in 2 Samuel 7, and it's where God has promised a covenant is where there's a promise made. And God has promised to David that he is going to see this Thing through and that David's line, David's descendant, through his line will come a great king who will be the savior of all. Amen? We're sitting on the other side of that. That's how he ends it with this, with this affirmation of this Messiah who's coming. We are sitting on the other side of it. He has come and he's come for you. He's come for me. I love that David says, um, He's bringing salvation and steadfast, never-ceasing, non-circumstantial love to you, to me, to everyone. How long? Forever. Is there any better news today? Is there any better news? You know, um, I've heard it said this way, that if you live a life where you're constantly asking, well, what if this happens? And what if this? Well, what if? Well, what if? Then you're living a life in fear. Your foundation is fear. If that's how you live, if every morning you wake up and instead of saying um, those awesome seven words, 
I love you, O Lord, my strength. You instead say, um, what if this happens? And what if this happens? And I'm afraid this might happen. And I'm afraid this might. Then you're living a life in fear. But what if you opened your eyes? What if, what if we did this? What if we started our day this way? Even if. Even if. Even if every fear I have comes true. Even if. God is still God. He's still on the throne. I still love him. He knows the best path. What if is fear, or even if is faith. It's a difference. It's just one word, but it's a huge difference, right? Well, David's hope rests in the eternal. His hope is not just in God fixing the circumstances, because as we see through a lot of these verses, um, a lot of them circumstances didn't get fixed, amen? A lot of them just didn't. I mean, he just didn't untie the knot, but he was still God, and he still met David in his greatest need. A lot of times, our hope has to rest in the eternal. I hear it said all the time, well, we know how the story ends. Yeah, we do. But do we live like we know how the story ends? I don't all the time. David's hope rests in the eternal, even when, even if, even though. Well, I talked a little bit about my friend, Chihi. I miss her. I miss her so much. Um, the thing about Chihi, the thing about David... She'd die right now, by the way. If, I, if she knew I was comparing her to David, she would literally, like, walk out of the room. But her greatest hope was that you knew Jesus. It's her greatest hope. That was it for her. Her greatest hope was that you knew the saving faith that she found in Jesus. She was bold about it. I think about those seven words, I love you, O oh Lord, my strength, and that was my friend. I think about if she were here today, what would she want us to know? I think about what her hope was in Jesus, and it was that everybody would come to know him, especially her family. And, and I can tell you this from personal knowledge from my friend telling me, the way she lived her life transformed her family, transformed her household. Her parents came to know the Lord, her siblings, people around her. If you could have been in this room that day we celebrated her life, you would, I mean, it felt like Jesus was going to get up on the stage at any moment and just join the conversation because it was just palpable that the people in the room were impacted by this life. But here's what's crazy. That, that's, I feel that's how David's life was. Not perfect. Just pointing to him. And, and the thing about David is we can all be David's. We can all be Chihis, you know? Do we point to him? Do we live an even if kind of life? I don't know how you live. I don't know what you think about God. I don't know what you think about God in light of your circumstances because sometimes that's the filter through which we see everything, amen? But I want to challenge you today and remind you that regardless of the circumstances, you have a God who can be your strength and your fortress and fight for you and reach down and touch you. I, I love that personal God. Just like David, you have a personal God, you know? And just like David, you're never forgotten, ever. You're never alone, ever. And you're never unloved. No matter how you feel, that's the truth. It's truth. It says it right here. And just like David, your hope can rest in the eternal. Just like my friend Chihi, her hope rested in the eternal, not in the circumstantial. I have a gift for you. Um, this is my gift. We did Psalms, I mentioned, in 2015, and the way we did it then was a little different, and at the beginning of every um, lecture, we would have, some days, we would have a friend come up and share their story about how the Lord had revealed himself to them and how they had responded, which was the name of the Bible study, in case you were 
asleep. Um, but he does, like in the Psalms, right? He reveals himself, and then we see responses. And so it was such a beautiful time. And, and now looking back after having lost my friend a few years ago, I realize um, it, was, it was a gift bigger than I could ever imagine because I have her um, filmed telling her story. And so uh, there's no better way than to end this time together today than to watch my friend Chihi share from her heart about her faith and her God and her hope for you because she prays for you at the end and you're going to see it. But um, I'm going to end this a little differently. What I'm going to do is we're going to play that video and then when she prays in the end, that's going to be our time of closing and y'all can just make your way um, out for your break and your small group. So I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to hear some words from my friend. Okay, you pray with me. Father, uh, Thank you that you are so personal. You reach down and you find us, whether we're in the wilderness, whether you got to speak to us in a whisper, whether you got to speak to us in a storm, a catastrophic event. We don't know, God, but, but you are intentional and, and you love us and that never changes. Father, um, I thank you for my friend that I get to share with my new friends. I thank you that, that I have the gift of knowing that she is in heaven with you, celebrating and watching us. I love that. What a beautiful picture. That is not the deliverance that I would have prayed for, Lord. I didn't think it was time for her to go, but you knew best. And so, God, will you help us honor her life, honor David's life, by not living a life where we don't recognize that every minute is precious. And we've got to make a decision what we think about what you did. You sent your son to this earth only for us. Father, thank you that you loved us that much. God, um, use Chihi's words. Use the words in our discussion group today. Bring yourself into the middle of our conversations. Lord, remind us of why we're here and how you love us no matter where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you so much for this church. I just pray that you will use my word. Please let them know that you want to reveal yourself to them, everyone and each of them. They're all special. Where can I find the meaning of my life? Um, I started to question <laughs> at the age of seven. Um, I could not find any meaning of my life. So I thought I would just kill myself. I would just end my life because I could not find any meaning to it. And on our way to celebrate one of our biggest holidays. And my dad was driving and we got in a very big car accident. There was a cliff and the car got rolled over and over and over and it stopped right before the cliff. That's how we got survived. So 
then I thought, there must be reason why I survived. There must be some type of a supernatural power who wanted me to live instead of to die. So then I wanted to find that supernatural power, even though I had no idea who that was. God had this special way to reach out to me. He knows the best way to reveal himself to everyone. Um, one Sunday morning, I got so bored. So I thought I would just try because there was a church walking distance. I would just try the church to entertain myself. I went there and it was no fun because I had no friend. So, oh, I'm not coming back here. It's no fun. And then I had a dream. In my dream, Jesus appeared at the window. I was in an upper room. So later I found out about all these things that Jesus revealed in my dream. But at the time, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about the Bible at all. So then he was at the window, and then he was looking at us because there were some other group of people too. And then he says, everyone leave except for Chihi. So then all the people left, and I was facing Jesus. Jesus was at the window. Hi, Kapir. Hi. Um, and he said, Chihi, I have chosen you because you have a good heart. Jesus, knowing my heart, he has chosen me. So I prayed, please use me. I want to be used by you. And there was this um, Bible verse that I always saw at the bus stop when I was a, a non-Christian. It was just, so it's, I guess it was an effective way to reach to me at least. The Bible verse said at the bus stop, uh, it's um, Acts uh, 16, 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. Dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing me here to this study, to this church. And thank you so much for this precious opportunity. I don't even remember what I said today, but I believe that you will use every single word that I have spoken today. Please touch all the hearts of the women here and all the hearts of their families. If there are non-believers who do not know you yet, please come to them, reveal yourself to them so that they will know how great your love is. I believe you love all of them here. In Jesus' name I pray.